Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we are getting tied up today, privates. Yes, honey, we are diving into the world of rope play, aka shibari. Mm. And if you've never heard of it, this is going to be a really cool one. So strap on in. Wink, wink. (laughs) Get those wristbands on. (laughs) Exactly. And get your ears open for Marika Layla Rue. She's the co-founder of Shibari Study. And Shibari Study is basically like the place for online rope education. And they're just really plugged into the whole world, as is Marika. So they're the place to go. Yeah, we were really excited to learn more about Shibari after seeing it live at the sex club when we were in Tokyo last February. It was so hot. Both Sophia and I's jaws were like on the floor. We were nudging each other. We were like, ooh. (laughs) We were trying not to be creepy looking on, but uh, Shibari is super hot. Yeah, and it's really sexy to learn about its connection to not just like obviously BDSM, But the other things that it opens up for you, like we learned so much from Marika that we did not know Shibari even touched on. Mm -hmm. It's just a really cool conversation. And if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, that sounds hot as hell. I need to see that with my own two eyes. Yes, you do. You should definitely go to their Instagram, Shibari.study, as well as her Instagram, Marika.layla. And you guys, the images are just fire. Really stunning and very, very sexy. And Shibari is a Japanese art, and we cannot wait to talk to a Japanese practitioner in the future. So stay tuned for that. And without further ado, here we go. Oh, you guys, we are in for such a treat today. I feel like ever since Sophie and I were in Tokyo and we got to see Shibari in an S&M club, I'll speak for myself. I've been kind of obsessed. So Mariko, we're so excited to have you on today and learn more about Shibari. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Courtney, you're right. We've been obsessed with this since the trip, at least, and probably since earlier. But seeing it in person was, I think, added a new level of like respect and interest for us. Can you just give a little bit of a background uh, for people who might not know what Shibari is? Uh, Sure. It's a little bit difficult to get into the history of Shibari quickly. 
So I... We have a little bit of time. <laughs> start with what we call Shibari today. And that is very simply tying each other up or ourselves up with rope. So it's a very general answer. It's very open because it's a practice that is very varied. It has as many approaches as people practicing it. So anything else I would add to this would be full of assumptions and somebody out there practicing Shibari would not recognize themselves. So Shibari is tying ourselves or tying each other with rope. Is there any way that Shibari in specific differs from just like Western rope play? Mm -hmm. So this is uh, the, obviously the next point is that Shibari is a Japanese word, right? So we need to also replace the practice into uh, its cultural and historical context. So a lot of the Japanese rope bondage or Shibari even if now it's been practiced by lots of people in lots of different ways all over the world, and it doesn't necessarily have much of its Japanese origins left in it, uh, it's important to, yeah, to, to understand where it comes from. Uh, and so it, it is a practice that comes from Japan that is now a highly mutated form of what it used to be. One important thing for me to say is that a very common myth or misconception around shibari is that it's an ancient Japanese art. Ah. It it's really is not. It's a very modern practice. The earliest uh, depictions of shibari as we know it today are from the late 1800, early 1900. So this is pretty modern. And whatever origins it has in ancient Japanese warfare is as relevant to the practice as inquisition time methods of incarcerations are relevant to any other form of BDSM, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, Japanese rope bondage, highly mutated. <laughs> yeah. And so then how is it practiced currently? Because you, you started Shibari study, right? And I actually didn't realize that there were so many different forms and that you could do it to yourself, like there's solo tying. That was going to be my first question, actually. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit about like the different types and the solo tying? That totally blew my mind. Again, if we go back to this very uh, broad definition, rope on the body, <laughs> then obviously there are virtually an infinite amount of ways you can use that tool. Uh, and enjoy it and appropriate it, right? Like to your own desires and your own needs and your own body and the context and so on and so forth. So there are so many different styles because there are different influences from different masters and different, you know, rope professionals through the past uh, decades. So this has influenced different styles for sure, aesthetically, even philosophically. But the more mainstream and the more people are practicing shibari and it has become increasingly popular over the last 10 or 20 years but especially the last five ten years with social media and and all of that people have really started to mix it up also with other things right so a lot of people are kind of combining shibari with mindfulness practices or body work or acrobatics circus dance theater 
photography, you know, all sorts of media, art performances, and something that has become increasingly popular is also self-tying. And self-tying can be something that people do because they simply don't have a partner available to tie them or, or to tie, but they still want to practice. So they start tying themselves up. Very often, it's also people who have a, an acrobatic practice or stage performance practice. A lot of circus performers, pole dancers, uh, aerials performers. There's an obvious connection, especially with the suspension aspect of the practice. And then there's also a lot of people who practice self-tying really as a form of self-care or self-sensory experience, like a self-massage or even uh, in some cases in a very erotic way, kind of like rope masturbation. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> there is no limit to what we can do with this practice. So obviously self-tying is something that has happened and, and happens a lot. We have been reading a little bit about all of the different benefits that um, Shibari has to offer, that it's not just, you know, BDSM, which is obviously the first association that we all have, which, by the way, is awesome. We're very pro BDSM here. <laughs> but um, can you tell us a little bit more about the other benefits that people might not know that Shibari can offer? Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm really glad that uh, you're not trying to <laughs> gloss over the uh, BDSM or, or sexual aspect of the practice. But you're right that this is a more obvious angle, that this is kind of what people think of immediately when they th think about rope bondage. But other benefits and other ways to use and approach this, um, the most common benefit that people report from practicing is often something very similar to meditation or mindfulness practices. There is really this sense of really connecting very deeply with yourself and with someone else, um, emotionally, physically, even spiritually sometimes. It's a practice that enhances everything, right? It enhances the sensations, the vulnerability, the desire for trust and understanding. Uh, you feel really seen when you're being tied mm -hmm. and you feel very attentive and empathetic when you're tying well at least in my experience so usually this yeah th these kind of mindfulness benefits uh, are very common also very calming it helps people to focus so I for example somebody with very very severe ADHD uh, I have a lot of anxieties same yeah like a lot of people with, with these types of neurodivergence find a lot of relief and catharsis in this practice because it gives you this almost kind of sacred space in which you focus all your energy, all your attention, and you stop worrying about other things and you become very, yeah, very focused. It's like tuning in mm -hmm. with yourself and with somebody else that you care for. So this can be extremely relieving and very healing, honestly, while it happens, but also afterwards. A lot of people that have, yeah, like anxiety or depression also have shared that it really helped them. I think this is due to the fact that it's a collaborative practice. And it's a collaborative practice, not only in a, on an intellectual level and emotional level, but also on a physical level. So there's touch, there's sensations. And this is something that for people that tend to feel very disconnected or even dissociated or a bit all over the place, it really helps kind of woof, coming back into the body. 
It's like soothing just hearing you talk about it, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So you do both, right? You're like a rigger and a bottom. Am I getting the terminology right? It's like any other thing with BDSM. Some people are switch. Can you kind of explain the different positions? And you kind of touched on how the positions differ, but yeah, a little bit more about that. Yeah, so for those uh, listening who have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) um, So basically with shibari or rope bondage in general, unless we're doing self-tying, there's often two people involved. There can be more, but uh, the classic scenario is going to be two people, one person tying and one person being tied. The vocabulary around this is a little bit actually, it's not very really fixed uh, because Mm. Different people with different approaches uh, and also different language, different cultures will prefer certain words over another one. But the common words for the person tying could be rigor. This is a very neutral term. I think it's very technical, like the person tying, so the rigor. Uh There's more power exchange involved. It could be top or rope top. And on the other side... It's the same. So if you want to keep it pretty neutral, people tend to use the term uh, rope model. This can be a little bit sensitive because people might sometimes feel like it's too close to the word for fashion model. And then it kind of implies a certain body type, Uh. uh, which feel very exclusionary. But I find it to be the most neutral term, right? Like rope model. And if there is a bit more power exchange involved, uh, then you could call it a rope bottom or rope submissive. Some people use the term bunny, which I'm personally not a big fan of. I find (laughs) it a little bit, I don't know, (laughs) a bit degrading. (laughs) No one's like calf or anything like that. Like (laughs) nothing unsexy. Like, yeah, I'm going to tie you up like a pig. No one's using that terminology. (laughs) People are into humiliation play or things like this then again like everybody's like free to use whatever words they like right i think the rope bunny thing comes from this tie which is very popular oh yeah that makes sense right i think i'm not i don't want to put my (laughs) my word on it but i think this is where it comes from just while we're on rigor and model or top and bottom i saw a post on i think it was your instagram where you were talking about the difference in those positions the power dynamic isn't necessarily what you would think it is and like the difference between power and control in those scenarios can you explain that a little bit (laughs) okay (laughs) i like where this is going um (laughs) it's a practice that is actually very nuanced and it can be something really simple just like we want to have some hot sex in the bedroom and throw some bondage in there. And this is completely valid. And it's, it's a perfect way to use this tool. In my case, I find it to be actually a very deep and complex playground. It can be something deeply philosophical, deeply intellectual, deeply political. And it's something that I've been practicing for 10 years since I was a very young woman. So my exploration of the practice has kind of bounced back and forth with my personal life also as a woman and as a young woman in a very male dominated world. I mean, the, the rope world also, not just the world world. <laughs> <laughs> so it has led me to a lot of thought processes and questioning that go way beyond 
it's hard to tidy up, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of these developments, I guess, is what you just talked about is un- realizing that, first of all, it doesn't always have to involve power exchange. It also doesn't always have to involve trust. I think this is something that I often hear people say, oh, Shibari is about trust. I mean, yeah, sure. If it does involve trust, that's amazing. And it should probably when possible, but it doesn't have to. And it often doesn't like sex doesn't always involve trust or vulnerability or power exchange, right? You can have a really satisfying, amazing one night stand with a stranger. There's no trust there. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know that person. So I think all these like big feelings, also these big words that we kind of like throw around so much that they lose their meaning. One of them that comes a lot in the context of bondage is power and power exchange. And it kind of stops meaning anything because we just kind of placate a very superficial understanding on this that the person tying has all the power and the person being tied has no power. And we just kind of slap that thing on the practice and go with it. And I think anybody who's been practicing for enough time and with enough introspection and intentionality quickly realizes that this is not really true. It's not exactly true. And very often people who do get into this practice because they want the experience of power exchange because they're dominant or because they're submissive and they do want to feel like I'm letting go of all the power. I'm feeling powerless and it's part of their fantasy, right? They actually get very disappointed, I think, because you feel like, "Mm, okay, this is not real. Uh, And then it can get a little bit tricky. Or the other way around, people who felt worried about this notion of power exchange find something completely different. So this is the (laughs) intro (laughs) to what I'm about to say. (laughs) I'm trying to give a little bit of context because there's just so much lived experience that goes into this thought process. But basically something that resonates more to me, and it doesn't have to be true for everyone, is that I think the person tying has a lot of control, but very little power. And the person being tied has a lot of power and very little control. And this is a super interesting paradox actually of the experience because What power really is, is the ability to start or end something, right? If you have the on-off button, you have the ultimate power. And assuming that we're talking about consensual experiences of being restricted, the person being tied can always say, stop, we're done, you're in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hopefully, we're also talking about uh, scenarios where people had negotiations before they tie. There is a framework. This is not real. It's not real that you can do whatever you want to me. It's not real that you're kidnapping me and torturing me, right? So the person being tied has all the power, literally. They will end when they want to end it. The other thing that gives people being tied a lot of power is that they have the knowledge that is the most important. And knowledge is truly is power. So maybe the person tying knows about the knots and the technique and the stuff and what is going on there, right? But they don't know how you feel. They're only guessing. It's a guessing game. This is actually very scary. And this is a very powerless position to be in for the person tying is, are they enjoying? Are they feeling good? Are they bored? Is this the most amazing experience of their life? (laughs) (laughs) Are they feeling what I want them to feel? So 
person being tied knows everything that happens in their body, know how far they're from their limits, if they're having a great time or they're bored to death. And they know how close they are from telling you stop, we're done, or actually I'm feeling great, you can keep going. So lots of power, very little control because, well, they're tied up. The person tying doesn't know what's going on <laughs> in your body. It's just hoping you're not going to say stop, hopefully. And so not very much power, but a lot of control because they're tying you up, right? So, and they're deciding what happens next to your body. So this is a super weird paradox, both physically and, and emotionally. It, it's very strange. And it's very interesting because I think what comes out of this, hopefully, that I find very an opportunity for incredible growth for yourself and within a partnership, whether it's a romantic partnership or not, is to start understanding that coming closer to this power exchange fantasy doesn't happen when the riggers or tops pretend that they have more power than they do and just kind of like, I'm just going to act very confident and be rough and not ask for consent to make it look like power exchange is happening and bottoms kind of zone out and disconnect and go into this place of I'm out and you can do whatever you want to me, which can be really dangerous. But instead, when bottoms or models just develop more self-awareness, really understand and fully inhabit this power and share it consciously, intentionally, and wisely with their tops, with their partners. There cannot be power exchange if there's no power to exchange, right? So this is actually a very beautiful thing to understand and an incredibly empowering experience for the person being tied when this is happening consciously. And for the person tying, I find it a mind-blowing experience to learn how to use your power with humility. This is one of the most incredible experience, I think. It's such a, a useful human skill. So using this control, applying this control to someone else's body and emotional landscape in a humble way and being fully aware and acknowledging the precarity of power of a dominant position, actually. And I think once all of this is either intuitive or intellectually phrased and acknowledged, it can be an incredibly empowering experience and an intellectually also very rich experience. We need to send you to the like G20 summit, <laughs> just tying up <laughs> world leaders, <laughs> having them tie each other up. <laughs> That's literally what I was thinking too. I was like, oh, a lot of people don't understand how power and control works. This would be a great <laughs> workshop, politicians. <laughs> Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey, privates. Woo, woo, privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. 
At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure, and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, Wait for the right girl when she comes. And in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. How did you get started in Shibari and what has your personal journey been with it? <laughs> oh, you're asking me a lot of questions that run deep. I started when I was 19, very randomly. It was, uh, I guess, a beautiful accident. But I was basically just approached by someone to be tied up for pictures. So I Googled Shibari and found a whole lot of things that I was not really sure what I like. I had a lot of feelings about it, but I wasn't really sure what these feelings were. Mm -hmm. I was 19, very vanilla, never been exposed to any sort of BDSM practice. And I felt a little bit like, hmm, this is maybe a bit too intense for me, but it's so beautiful. I'm really curious. So that's how I got into it. I was kind of like weirded out and fascinated by it. And then I had my first suspension for this photo shooting and it completely blew my mind. Like the physical experience I had was really really intense I remember not speaking for four days and oh just God. sitting in my house like something really powerful just happened to me and none of it was emotional like the, the experience itself wasn't emotional but what it did to my body was so intense for me it really did what we talked about a bit before like this kind of meditation thing like but outside of my own will like I just was forced and pushed back into my body all of a sudden after 19 years of being an extremely dissociated person so it had already some sort of mental benefit for me that it just kind of slapped me back into my body and then I became obsessed and started chasing people and events and knowledge and oh my god what is this and yeah I started being tied up a lot 
and then I started tying myself and then I started tying other people and I was lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time a lot and meeting a lot of amazing people and then I started uh, performing with really big names and then becoming more and more exposed and then I started teaching myself and 10 years later I'm still doing this as a full-time job. Here we are. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we were just talking about the power and control differences between rigor and model. And in your experience has, I don't know, there been any shift in your desire to, for instance, be the rigor as you get older and become more of a woman or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, has there been an evolution in how you see the roles as you get older? Mm. <laughs> I love all your questions. <sighs> yes, of course. I mean, Shibari for me, it's not a hobby. It's been my passion and my work full time for years, for a decade now. So it's really, really like 90% of my life is about shibari about practicing it teaching it you know thinking about it talking Mm -hmm. about it so of course the line between like my life and my shibari life is is more than blurry there's not really a line anymore so everything that i am as a person goes into my practice and everything from my practice goes into who i am but Definitely, I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but I started as a very young, very, very young, very submissive, very lost, very insecure woman who had been socialized for 19 years as a straight female bodied person. So, you know, a lot of my insecurities and a lot of my emotional priorities, let's say, were getting the attention and the validation of cis straight men, mm-hmm. which of course, when you sexualize yourself and when you, you know, get naked and tied up, that happens. So I think the first half of my journey with Shibari was, it was very beneficial in a way because it gave me a lot of confidence, a lot of self-confidence to be recognized, to be wanted, to be seen, but it was definitely not healing. It was just, filling this thing right and then I kind of crashed of course I hit a lot of walls I've been through a lot of consent violations I've had a lot of terrible experiences because I wasn't clear because I was in these very toxic I think dynamics and psychological patterns and as I kind of hit these walls and then gotten the support that I needed uh, from the community, from mental health professionals, from friends and family. And I started building myself and transforming myself. I started to seek completely different experiences with Shibari. So I started getting tied less and tying more because I felt safer like that. Also because I felt it more empowering for me to explore more dominant side, to explore more of my own masculinity, maybe. I have a pretty good balance. I think I went like to very different extremes and now I feel equally fulfilled and safe in both roles. I really enjoy being tied. I just pick the people who tie me very carefully. I've I've become very intentional about who I tie and who I get tied by. 
because it, these are interactions that will leave their marks on your body and on your mind. So I think they have to be, we have to be very intentional. Even when we want to just do pickup play with strangers, we have to be intentional. Has it opened you up to experiences with women because of the way you really <laughs> mentioned that you were socialized as a cis, het, straight person? Mm, I mean, I've been polyamorous and or non-monogamous and bisexual, pansexual since my 20s. I think mostly because I came to in contact with the, with this community and realized, oh, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not a straight <laughs> cis woman. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that Shibari, like that bondage got me into relationship with women. I think everything just kind of happened at the same time. But I started everything so young that it's really hard to tell what led to what, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was just this age where everything happened to me and I was discovering my identity and my sexual identity and all of this. So, yeah. Just the coming of age kind of experience that was all. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that rope got me into women. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's an oversimplification. I just mean like that you were so insecure and kind of you were saying Shine didn't know that much about yourself. And it seems like Shabari opened you up to like just the world in general. And that included being open to experiences with. Yes, yes. I mean, over the course of 10 years, not like immediately when I started, boom, it happened to me. But over the course of 10 years, practicing uh, rope bondage a lot and, and again, very intentionally and very intensely, it has completely transformed me. It has completely changed my life, the practice itself, but also the community around it, which is a community that is at least my community within the community is very sex positive, very body positive very political, a lot of social activism, racial activism. It's a very political sphere. And we're dealing with the body, which is, I mean, it is a political playground as well, right? Or object. Vessel, yeah. So it has completely transformed every aspect of me, my gender identity, my sexual identity, my social identity, my body, my relationship to my body, it, it, it has changed everything for me. You know, you mentioned your first time your body was just like, you were basically like high on it for four days. Yeah. How do you approach body care, aftercare, and yeah, making sure you like, I don't know, my terms are probably way off, come down from the experience? <laughs> This is very much up to every different person. I think it's definitely something that should be thought of and communicated before you get tied up by somebody or before you tie yourself up, discussing what type of aftercare you're going to need. So some people really like to be cuddled with and have like a warm blanket and something to snack or something to drink, and they're going to want to talk about it. Uh, maybe some other people just want to be you know, to lay down and just have you pet their head and that's it, not talk to them. Uh, some people are going to want to be alone. Some people don't need any aftercare. They don't care. They just, you know, stand back up and go get tied up by the next person. <laughs> so it, it's, I think on, on every person, also the dynamic and the context, the environment. Um, so I, I don't really have an answer for that. It's very personal. Gotcha.
uh, we talked about this a little bit, but in terms of like how you approach consent in Shibari, and it seems like it's very important, maybe even more important than, you know, in just regular vanilla sex, but how do you make sure everyone is on the same page? And is it like a safe word kind of situation? This is a very, very delicate topic, um, which I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing up. But I just want anybody who's listening to understand that whatever I'm going to say now in a few minutes does not cover it, cannot cover it. Consent is at the core of everything we do with any sort of BDSM practice, including rule bondage, because that's what makes the difference between abuse and BDSM. If there is no explicit free consent, it is not BDSM, it is abuse. So it's a very delicate topic because it's much more complicated than just yes, no. It can be very hard for someone to say no. You might say yes under pressure or with a lot of coercion involved. So it's quite delicate. I think how to make sure there can be safe words for some people that works really well, like the kind of traffic light system, you know, red, orange, green, red Mm -hmm. meaning stop. Right now, everything has to stop. Orange is kind of like slow down and green, like we're good, keep going. This can also not really work for some people because either because they zone out when they get tied up or because they might feel like once they're in in the situation, they, they're not really able to communicate so well. There are just a lot of factors that can come in, into play. It, it's actually impossible for me to, to answer this question just like that. There's just so much going on. Uh, I think it's really important to just research this if you want to get into any sort of BDSM, really, really actively research consent. Also try to understand what your partner's consent culture is and what their view on consent is. Also try to to educate yourself and again, check your partner's education on also risk awareness. For example, like their risk profile, what are the risks they're willing to engage with? Are they more of an SSC person, safe, set, and consensual, or more of a RAC person, risk-aware, consensual, kink? These are very different views. On our website, for example, we have a written section on consent and negotiation. I kind of like to have this written down because then people can reread it. They can Mm -hmm. go get back to it. They can use it when they're talking with their partner, like check it together. So that is on uh, Shibari study. (laughs) which we haven't talked about yet. That was going to be my next question. (laughs) But I think it's really important to, yeah, just educate yourself about these topics, also from different educators and different resources to compare different opinions, different views, and try to build your own, like, yeah, your own opinion on this and find what really truly resonate with you and make sure that you're playing with people that align, that you have the same views and the same culture around it to avoid also unintentional consent violation, right? Because these are the most frequent violations. They're really unintentional because we use the same word to say something different, right? Mm -hmm. For example, if you say, oh, I don't do shibari in a sexual way or I want to have a a shibari experience with you but not sexual, then we're like, oh, me neither. This is fine. And then we feel like, oh, this was a negotiation. Everything that comes next is going to be consensual. But then we both mean something completely different with sexual, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it, this is something very important to really take time with. 
So yeah, let's get into Shibari study. Hey. <laughs> yeah, tell us about it. This is the more fun part of my journey. Right? <laughs> so Shibari study is something that I started together with my ex-partner about three years ago. So yeah, 2019. That's about three years ago. There were there was a better version earlier, 2017, that I started by myself, but this was very experimental. Just like a couple of videos because I wanted to see, you know, what happens if I put tutorials out there. At the time, there was no such thing as online rope education. It was really not a thing and kind of frowned upon even. This is not the way you have to uh, learn. But also a lot of my students from my physical workshops always were telling me we learn so many patterns and then sometimes we go home and we forget about it. So that's kind of how it started. And then when I met my ex-partner, Anton, who's the co-founder of uh, Shibar Study, I was telling him, yeah, I have this kind of project, but I don't really know what to do with it. I'm a chaotic artist. I don't know <laughs> how to structure this. And he said, okay, I really like you know, to bring structure into things. Um, let's look at this together. And then we started building this into a proper website with high quality videos. Like everything just became a bit more proper over the years. And now what we launched, which is our latest version of the project, is a subscription-based streaming platform with, I think now we have almost 500 videos on it from about 10, I think, instructors currently, but it's growing. And you can learn rope bondage from absolutely zero skills. I've never touched a rope. I have no idea what this is about, but I'm curious. All the way to very advanced techniques, including suspension, for example. So this is a website really for everyone curious or already into Shibari to develop their practice and develop their skills and also find out about very different styles because we select our instructors in a very non-dogmatic way. I really like to show different approaches, different energies, different techniques, different styles. Well, we can't wait to get started on Shibari study. Totally. <laughs> so you guys are planning on trying it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we really want to. Nice. Amazing. Um, maybe you can recommend us some places we can go after this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, on the website, so if you're starting from nothing, if you have no experience with it and you're trying to start tying, I would recommend starting with the safety course. We have a generic safety course with 10 videos that will kind of walk you through all the important things to know or to think about before you get started. And then we have a whole section called beginner classes uh, where I'll be teaching. <laughs> I'm teaching <laughs> classes, so you'll get more of me. And then I will really bring you from like touching your first rope all the way to tying some really cute, beautiful, intricate patterns either on yourself or on a partner. So most of the course is designed that you can practice it on yourself if you don't have a model or a partner. So you can get confident and just kind of go over these first steps. You know, it's, it's a very technical practice. So the beginning is a little bit frustrating sometimes. Get confident and then you can have fun with somebody else <laughs> when you feel better about it. I mean, we have hundreds of videos, so you, you can spend some time exploring there. And afterwards, if you want to continue exploring, hopefully things are going to start opening again and you might be able to go uh, learn, you know, in person and also go to rope jams and meet people and get a bit more of this community feeling. Awesome. That's really cool. Are you based in Berlin? Yes. Is there like a big rope community there? 
Yes, there actually is. I mean, right now everything is, you know, there's no more really social events, but there used to be lots of venues here. And we have one of the biggest, I'm not sure if it's the biggest, but one of the biggest rope conventions uh, in Europe was happening in Berlin called Eurex, European Rigor Exchange. And that's an awesome, super awesome week-long convention. For example, there's Prague Festival, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, BoundCon, there are a bunch of events happening yeah, in Europe. And, and I mean, in, in America, you also have a lot of really cool stuff going on. We'll have to put a piece of rope on our vision board. What a cool world. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else uh, that we should know about Shibari or Shibari study or your journey, anything at all? Actually, about Shibari study, there is something very cool that I'm really excited to share is that what we've been working on uh, in the last year that we're very proud of is uh, that we were managed to build and release an app on the Apple Store and on Google Play. So our website is online. You can get it like on the internet in a browser, but now you can also get it through the app, which has a bunch of really cool features. The user experience is much, much nicer. It, it just looks prettier and it feels a lot better you can watch a video while you're using other apps, like, you know, taking notes or scrolling through Instagram or, you know, chatting with somebody. Um, you can leave comments and talk with each other or with instructors. Uh, and you can download the videos for offline streaming, kind of like Netflix app. Uh -huh. So you can watch the video, you know, in a plane or if you're trying to go on a romantic getaway you know, off the grid and you still want to practice. So this is super cool. And we're really excited about it because it wasn't easy. The Apple store wasn't exactly happy about it at first. So we're really excited and we feel really like this is also pioneering, showing that Shibari is not something to be shameful about, that it's beautiful practice, that, you know, sex is okay and art is okay. Yeah, so we're super excited about this. And another cool feature we've added to the website is live classes. Because of the pandemic, we weren't really able to produce content as we usually do because it's really hard to fly people into Berlin. And that has become very unreliable. So we added a live streaming feature and we have new classes every week with a bunch of really cool instructors now that we can, you know, contact from all over the world. So, yeah, the platform is growing and we're really excited about this. Yay! That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing all of this. I think this is going to spread like wildfire because why the hell not? It's amazing. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Have a great night. Bye. 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 turned on and excited to go check out shibari study <laughs> yeah i can't wait till the world opens up and we can actually get tied up by other people holy shit it's gonna be so fun i feel like berlin needs to be one of our next spots yes i think definitely let's go to berlin let's get tied up let's get some really sexy photos taken i can't wait 
Oh my God. Yeah. I would love to meet Marika in person too. So you guys will get on those emails and start to arrange that. But in the meantime, coming at you, we have more comedians of OnlyFans. That's right. You're going to hear from a self-proclaimed fat slut, Allison Stevenson, (laughs) who is an incredible person to interview. She's so interesting and funny. And we're going to soon talk to a founder of a site for small penis dating called Dinky Ones. So that's going to be really interesting as well. Yeah, I honestly can't wait for that conversation. So stay tuned. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb-ass music? This music is by our friend, Amy Rosh. You should check her out on Spotify. Her last name spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love we you. We love you, Mike. Oh, Michael. Totally out of sync. <laughs> Did you hear my little snort at the very end? <laughs> <laughs> the famous boy band is in sync, but we are out of sync. That is our duo. <laughs> <laughs> you would think it's easier for two people to sing together than for five or six or however many uh, in sync people no, there No, we'll are. make it sound wrong. That's, uh, that's our specialty. <laughs> they call us the anti-harmonizers. <laughs> And now it's time for our weekly asking you for reviews. That's right, bitches. We don't have a review to read for you today, so we need you to write one. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Write whatever you want. Say something nice. It doesn't have to be, you know, an essay, but it can be. You can say, oh, I learned this. This made me hard. This made me wet. Anything. I love Courtney and Sophia. Yes. I think Sophia is better than Courtney. Whatever. Anything. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Kick Sophia off the podcast. (laughs) Her voice kills me. (laughs) Well, you're not alone there. It also kills me. But also, you guys, our last reviewer wrote us a joke. So you can do whatever you want. Promote your business. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Write a review for something else, but give us five stars and paste the review like a Yelp review for something else. I don't know, like a subway and paste it into (laughs) our review. (laughs) We'll take it. That's where we're at on the reviews. Call me a sandwich artist. I don't give a shit. Just... (laughs) (laughs) Just review, review us. Give us five stars. That's right. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash private, and we will check you guys next time. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.